0: Hello, this is Dr. Peng Chen, Chien, the editor-in-chief of Heart Rhythm. Thank you for listening to this podcast, summarizing the August 2020 issue of the journal. The first paper is by Roger Winkle, et al., titled High Power, Short Duration Atrial Fibrillation Ablations Using Contact Force Sensing Casters, Outcomes and the Predictors of Success, Including Posterior Wall Isolation the authors examined four-year outcomes and predictors of freedom from AF after AF ablation for 1,250 consecutive patients using high-power, short-duration contact force sensing catheter. There are six independent predictors of worse outcomes after initial ablation. They are old age, female gender, persistent AF, large LA size, posterior wall isolation, and the use of a smart touch versus tactic cast, caster. A redo ablations, the outcomes was better if more veins had reconnected and could be re-isolated. The paper also documented the safety and efficacy of this new approach to ablation. Next paper is titled, Six specific efficacy and safety of cryoballoon versus radiofrequency ablation for atrial fibrillation, and individual patient data meta-analysis. The authors searched for randomized controlled trials and observational prospective studies, comparing cryo and RF ablation with at least one year of follow-up. For both sexes, the procedural time was shorter with cryo than with RF. Men had lower failure rates with cryoablation than with RF ablation, but no differences were found among women. The mechanism of these observations remain unclear. Coming up next is stereotactic arrhythmia radioablation for refractory scar-related ventricular tachycardia by Carola Gianni et al. This is a pilot prospective study of five patients. Radioablation was delivered without acute complications. During a mean follow-up of 12 months, all patients experienced clinically significant mid-to-late-term ventricular arrhythmia recurrence. Two patients died of complications associated with their advanced heart failure, The authors conclude that radioablation did not result in effective arrhythmia control in the long term in a selected high-risk population of patients with scar-related VT. The safety profile was confirmed to be favorable, with no radiation-related complications observed during follow-up. These disappointing results strengthen the argument for further investigation of this, this new method. Of treating ventricular arrhythmias, Alessio Gasparetti et al. wrote the next article titled "Novel Risk Calculator Performance in Athletes with Arrhythmogenic Right Ventricular Cardiomyopathy." Twenty-five athletes with definite ARVC undergoing clinical detraining were enrolled. Data were collected over a median follow-up of 5.3 years. The cardi Turini algorithm was used to calculate the a priori predicted ventricular arrhythmia risk which was compared with the observed outcomes. That algorithm used age, sex, syncope, number of inverted T waves, maximum 24-hour PVC count, history of sustained VT, and RV ejection fraction to predict the arrhythmia outcomes. The authors found that clinical detraining is associated with PVCs burden reduction in athletes with ARVC. The novel risk prediction algorithm does not appear to need any correction for its application in ARVC athletes. The next article is titled Left Ventricular Endocardial Pacing is Less Arrhythmogenic Than Conventional Epicardial Pacing." When pacing in proximity to scar by Carline Mendoca Costa et al. The authors used computational models of 24 ischemic cardiomyopathy patients to simulate left ventricular, epicardial, and endocardial pacing at 0.2 to 3.5 centimeters from a scar. These patient specific models with a physiological APD gradient p- predict that endocardial pacing decreases VT risk compared to epicardial pacing when pacing within 0.2 centimeter of the scar. The authors concluded that endocardial pacing is less arrhythmogenic than epicardial pacing when pacing proximal to scar and is less susceptible to pacing location relative to scar. The physiological repolarization sequence during endocardial pacing Mechanistically explains reduced VT risk compared to epicardial pacing. Coming up next is periaotic ventricular tachycardia in structural heart disease, evidence of localized reentrant mechanisms by Takuro Nishimura et al. 49 periaotic monomorphic VTs were analyzed in 30 patients. Localized reentrant patterns of activation were demonstrated in 63%, and 37% of VTs showed centrifugal activation consistent with a focal breakout pattern. 96% of VTs fulfilled criteria for reentrant mechanism. The authors conclude that the periaotic VTs were observed in 25% of non ischemic cardiomyopathy patients with scar-related VT. Localized reentry confined to this anatomically challenging region was demonstrated as the predominant mechanism by high-resolution circuit activation mapping. Reginald Ho et al. wrote the next article titled, The Various Manifestations of Concealed Nodal Fascicular and Nodal Ventricular Bypass Tract the authors reviewed 11 patients with concealed nodal pathways who underwent electrophysiologic study and ablation for symptomatic SVT. The nodal fascicular and nodal ventricular bypass tracts were active bystanders during AVNRT or participants during orthodromic reentrant tachycardia. The majority had a nodal origin in the slow pathway and 64% presented as long RP-SVT. Ablation of the slow pathway targeting the inferior extension eliminated concealed nodal pathways associated SVT in all patients. The author also noted that all nodal pathways in the study were concealed, which in contrast to their manifest counterpart do not permit activation mapping of its distal fascicular ventricular end. Next article is titled, The Real-World Experience of the Leadless Left Ventricular Endocardial Cardiac Resynchronization Therapy, a multi-center international registry of the WISE CRT pacing system. Written by Benjamin Sinivitz et al., BiV endocardial CRT can be delivered by a new wireless LV indo map uh, pacing system called WISE CRT without requiring lifelong anticoagulation. The authors performed a registered study of 90 patients across 14 European centers. Successful implantation and a chronic delivery of BIV indo pacing was achieved in 94.4% of patients. Among them 70% of patients experienced an improvement in their failure, heart failure symptoms. The authors conclude that the bivy endopacing with WISE CRT system appears technically feasible with a high success rate. Three procedural deaths were observed during the study. Procedural complications mandate adequate operator training and the performance in centers with immediate cardiothoracic and vascular-surgical support. The following article is also about CRT. The paper was written by Johnny Shahing Shahin et al., titled Cardiac Venous Injuries, Procedural Profiles and Outcomes During Left Ventricular Lead Placement for Cardiac Resynchronization Therapy. Out of 5,000 patients with CRT, coronary sinus injury occurred in 35. In patients with dissection in the absence of perforation, attempts at the coronary sinus lead placement after dissection were successful in 21 of 29 patients. In those with perforation, there are six patients. CS lead placement was successful in one of them. The authors conclude that the CS injury is not common during CRT implants and did not preclude successful lead placement in 23 of 35 patients during index procedure and 6 of 6 during subsequent attempted procedures. A low rate of mortality was observed in such patients, but CS injury was associated with increased morbidity. Anika Wimble et al. contributed to the next article titled Genetic Testing in Polynesian Long QT Syndrome Probants Reveals a Lower Diagnostic Yield and an Increased Prevalence of Rare Variants. The data came from New Zealand National Cardiac Inherited Disease Registry. Of 264 Long QT Syndrome Probants, 160 reported European 79, Polynesian, and 25 other ethnicities with comparable clinical characteristics across ethnic groups. A class 3 to uh, to 5 long QT syndrome variant was identified in 35% of Polynesian probands compared to 63% of European and 72% of other probands. Polynesians were more likely to have non-missense variants as well as LQT1 to 3 variants not reported elsewhere. The authors conclude that the genetic testing of Polynesian Long QT Syndrome probands has a lower diagnostic yield despite comparable testing and the clinical disease severity. Rare Long QT Syndrome variants are more common in Polynesian Long QT Syndrome probands. This data emphasize the importance of increasing the knowledge of genetic variation in the Polynesian population. Next up is a paper titled Usefulness of Positive T-Wave in Lead AVR on Predicting Arrhythmic Events and Mortality in Patients with Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy. This study investigated consecutive 421 patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy During a median follow-up of six years, 53 patients experienced major arrhythmic events. On multivariable competing analysis, after adjusting for other confounding uh, factors, the presence of positive T-wave in AVR was found to be an independent and a strong predictor of primary composite endpoint. However, in subgroup analysis, positive T in AVR lost statistical significance in apical hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patients, but remained significant in all other hypertrophic patterns. These findings indicate that a positive T wave in AVR is associated with major arrhythmic event in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patients, independently of and incremental to traditional risk factors. The next article is cardiovascular autonomic reflex function following bilateral cardiac sympathetic denervation of four ventricular arrhythmias. 18 cardiomyopathy patients with refractory ventricular arrhythmias were studied. Palmer electrodermal activity responses to stressors were abolished after sympathectomy, while maximal finger pulse volume and the blood pressure responses were preserved there was a better tolerance of active standing after bilateral cardiac sympathetic denervation as compared to before. The authors conclude that the cardiomyopathy patients with refractory ventricular arrhythmias on optical medical therapy have detectable but blunted adrenergic responses that are not disrupted by bilateral cardiac sympathetic denervation. Coming up is cost-effectiveness of in-home automated external defibrillators for children with cardiac conditions associated with risk of sudden cardiac death. For children at intermediate risk of sudden cardiac death, the utility and cost-effectiveness of in-home automated external defibrillators, or AED, are unclear. Utilizing hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or HCM, as a proxy disease, a theoretical cohort of 1,550 10-year-old children with HCM was followed for 69 years. Model inputs were derived from the literature with a willingness-to-pay threshold of $100,000 per quality-adjusted life years. The authors found that for children at intermediate risk of sudden cardiac death and HCM, in-home AED is cost-effective, resulting in fewer deaths and increased quality adjusted life years for a cost below the willingness to pay threshold. These findings highlight the economic benefits of in-home AED utilization in this population. The next article is Atrial Tachycardia Eliminated at the Ventricular Side in Patients with Congenitally Corrected Transposition of the Great Arteries, Electrophysiological Findings, and Anatomical Concerns. The Unique Malformation of Congenitally Corrected Transposition of the Great Arteries, or CCE-TGA, makes the pulmonary outflow tract a possible origin of atrial tachycardia. The authors report that atrial tachycardia was eliminated at the pulmonary outflow tract in five of six CCTGA patients. The earliest activation site of the pulmonary outflow tract was in the vicinity of the left-facing pulmonary sinus cusp in three cases and the non-facing pulmonary sinus cusp in two cases. Ablation at this site successfully eliminated AT in all five cases. The authors conclude that AT arising adjacent to the pulmonary outflow tract is not an uncommon tachycardia in patients with situs solitus type CCTGA and can be safely eliminated by ablation targeting the earliest activation site in the pulmonary outflow tract. Jeffrey Young et al. contributed to the next article titled Pectoral Nerve Blocks Decrease Postoperative Pain and Opioid Use After Pacemaker or Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillator Placement in Children. A total of 74 patients underwent pacemaker or ICD placement, with 20 patients undergoing pectoral nerve blocks. Patients who underwent Pectoral uh, nerve blocks had a lower mean cumulative pain score than controls over the 24 hour post implant. The authors conclude that pectoralis nerve blocks reduce post operative pain scores and lower total opiate usage after ICD or pacemaker placement. Pectoralis nerve blocks should be considered at the time of transvenous device placement in children. The next paper is by Daniel J. Friedman et al. titled, Impact of Interruptions in Radiofrequency Energy Delivery on Lesion Characteristics. 42 RF ablation lesions were created in the ventricles of six swine using power control mode with one of the three conditions, 15-second ablation, 30-second ablation, or two 15-second ablation at the same site separated by two-minute pause. The results show that the lesion volume was significantly larger for 30-second lesions compared to the other two ablation methods. Differences in lesion volume were driven mainly by the differences in lesion width rather than depth. The authors conclude that compared to lesions resulting from continuous RF ablation, lesions resulting from interrupted ablation have a smaller overall lesion volume predominantly due to smaller lesion width. These data suggest that if disruption in energy delivery occurs, lesions may need closer spacing to avoid gaps. Coming up next is altered heart rate variability in angiotensin II mediated hypertension. is associated with impaired autonomic nervous system signaling and the intrinsic uh, sinoatrial node dysfunction. The study was performed in a mouse model of angiotensin II mediated hypertensive heart disease. Autonomic nerve activity was assessed through HRV analysis as well as direct recordings of vagal nerve activity and renal sympathetic nerve activity from anesthetized mice. Time and frequency domain analysis demonstrated that mice infused with angiotensin II had reduced HRV and elevated renal sympathetic nerve activity. Angiotensin 2 caused an increase in sinus, a, sinoatrial node beating interval variability in isolated atrial pre- preparations and uh, isolated uh, sinoatrial node myocytes. The authors conclude that reduced HRV in hypertension occurs in association with altered vagal balance as well as intrinsic SAN dysfunction and the reduced responsiveness of uh, silent atrial node myocytes to autonomic nerve agonists. The final original research article of this issue is titled Combined Local Impedance and Contact Force for Radio Frequency Ablation Assessment. The purpose of this study was to evaluate the utility of local impedance combined with contact force in assessing RF ablation efficacy. The authors found that local impedance drop correlated with lesion depths both in vitro and in vivo, informing sufficient lesion creation if the drop was greater than 20 ohms, and a warning of excessive heating if the drop was greater than 65 ohms. The authors conclude that additional local impedance to contact force provides feedback on both electrical and mechanical load. This provides information on tissue type and the castor tissue coupling, feedback on whether volumetric tissue heating is inadequate, sufficient, or excessive, and reduces ablation time. These original articles were followed by three contemporary review articles titled Cardiac Radio Ablation, Leal's Pacemaker Reduced Risk of Device-Related Infection, Review of the Potential Mechanisms, and linking cellular energy state to atrial fibrillation pathogenesis, colon, potential role of adenosine monophosphate activated protein kinase. Finally, Ashkan Idel contributed a hand on article titled How to Use Intracardiac Echocardiography to Guide Cast Fibrillation of Outflow Tract Ventricular Arrhythmias. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For Heart Rhythm, I'm Editor-in-Chief Dr. Pen Xianqian.